to all of you who are our guests here today. You are joining in on our sermon series as we walk through the book of Ephesians. So we, we have not made it very far, to be honest with you, but that's okay because we've done some really good stuff. So we are going into verses 15 through 23. This section is another single sentence. So as you look in your Bibles, as you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses 15 through 23, you'll note that in most of your Bibles, it has the heading prayer and blessing or blessings and prayer or thanksgiving and prayer. And it's usually one paragraph broken down into multiple sentences, but in the original language, it's one sentence, uh, roughly about 163 words uh, that's going to be in that sentence. And so we're going to look at that one sentence today and break it apart, and that's going to be how we talk about today's message. Now, it builds off of the past two messages. The past two messages went through the in Christ, in Christ, in Christ with all of the blessings. We have been chosen, we have been adopted, we have been elected, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed. All of these truths about our identity and who we are. And now Paul, after that one sentence, moves on to another one sentence. And in this one sentence, he wants us to comprehend the hope, the value, and the power that is found in Christ. The hope, the value, and the power that is found in Christ, and his prayer is really that we'll know it, we'll understand it, we'll be enlightened, we'll comprehend all of these truths. So this sentence, I think I said 163 words, it's actually 169 words in the Greek, but we're going to look at that and read through it. So in honor of the reading of God's word, would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Dear Lord, today we pray that you would help us to know, to understand, to have our hearts enlightened to the truth of your word, that we may catch a glimpse of the greatness that is found in Christ. And it's in his name I pray, amen. And you may be seated. When we look at this particular text and we walk back through this text and break it down, let me show it to you here on the screen. Uh, we're going to get our first point here from verses 15 going all the way through verse 16. Uh, I'm calling this the preface of the prayer. The prayer as it starts out is for this reason. It's for a singular reason, but then he gives us some understanding here about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then also your love towards the saints. This causes Paul not to cease to give thanks for you, but to remember you always in prayer. So there's the preface to the prayer. 
And we'll walk back through this. And then he moves from the preface to the prayer to the main purpose of the prayer. And this is when we're doing our Bible reading, as we're walking through, trying to teach a lesson, understand what God's word is saying, we look for repetition. Here, we're going to see a ton of repetition. So we'll see this, this verse here, 17, and we'll go all the way through 18, part A. And when you look at this, you see that he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit. We'll have to come back and talk about that word in a minute, because in some of your versions, it's lowercase s. In some of your versions, it's uppercase s. We'll address that. But it is a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So we see knowledge here, and then we see having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, another word for knowledge, that we may know. So over and over and over in this prayer, Paul is praying that we may know. He wants us to comprehend, understand, be enlightened to the truth of what he's just gone through. So this is his prayer. Here are all these theological truths. You are not rejected, you are chosen. You are not orphaned, you are adopted. You are redeemed, you are forgiven. You have been bought with a price. And now he prays, could you know this and comprehend this so that the eyes of your heart might be opened to live in the reality of these truths for the rest of your life? We're gonna come back to that. So what does he want us to know? Well, here we get some key words. He wants us to know the hope to which he has called us. So we'll put that number one. He wants us to know the riches of his glorious inheritance. Now there's a question here. What does he mean by this? Is it our inheritance that we receive in the future or are we God's inheritance? The word his here gives us a clue to that. So the riches or I placed it value is number two. And then the immeasurable greatness of his power. That's the third thing he really wants us to know towards us who believes. Then he's gonna go into an explanation of that power. So what's he going to do in the explanation of the power as we see it moving to a subsection here of what he's praying for us? He wants us to know that God's power towards us to believe is of his great might. Now look at all the words he does here. It's immeasurable. It's great. It's power. It's great. It's might. And then he goes on to define it. What did he do with that? He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. Where? Far above. All rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. And just in case you haven't gotten the point yet about how far above he is, he's above every name. Not just every name that is named in this age, but also in the one to come. And then, just in case you still haven't gotten it, he says his immeasurable greatness of his power, he put all things under his feet. Now, who wants to be under somebody's feet? So, all right, maybe you're still slow. So then he gave him as the head over all things. So you see a large portion of this is just a subsection to define just how great God's power is. And this is what we're gonna look at today as we look through this text. So we start with the preface of the prayer and we look in verse 15 where it says, for this reason I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards the saints. Nike has a new ad campaign. I'm sure you all have heard of it. It caused a great stir. It caused their stock to drop. Then their stock went back up. And then all of these things have happened and people are talking about it. I'm not going to talk about the controversial part of it. But their ad campaign is believe in something even if it costs you everything. Now, I get what they're after. What they're really after is to say a life that's going to be well lived has to believe in something. In other words, they're saying, don't go through life believing in nothing, wasting your life, just kind of floating around here or there. Believe in something. 
But is that true? Think deeper with me about their ad campaign. Believe in something, even if it costs you everything. What if I told you, I believe in Bigfoot and I'm gonna spend my life proving that there are Sasquatch in them hills. <laughs> Is that worth it? Even if it costs me everything? What if I told you I believe in ghosts and I have a TV show where I show the paranormal through the video cameras I've set up in these houses? What would you say to me? <laughs> believe in something else, even if it costs you everything, right? What if I told you that I believed in a flat earth? What if I told you I had never gotten on a plane in California and flown to Korea so that I could know it really wasn't a flat earth? But anyway, forget that point. What if I started a society called the Flat Earth Society? And every fiber of my being was focused on believing in a flat earth. There are some of you in the room that would say, you're an idiot. Get something better to believe in. So what if I picked other things? Goofy things. Things that don't matter. Here he starts off, I give thanks for you. Because I've heard of your faith in something that does matter. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we start off this discussion by saying to you, if you're placing your faith in anything else other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got a misplaced faith. If you're placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll say to you, believe in Jesus, even if it costs you everything and you will never regret that decision. Believe in Jesus, your faith in Jesus and also your love for the saints. This is what we should be known as. And these are convicting words. So we could just scroll right past this because this is really the preface to his prayer. For this reason, I've heard of your faith in God. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard of your love to all the saints. We even talk about this in our core values. Love God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as though yourself. Love for God, love for others. Two of our four core values that we have here, here they are in the text. But now think about this. If somebody were to look at my life, would they give thanks to Jesus because of my faith in Jesus Christ that they saw for the outside and because of my love for the saints? If I examine my life with those questions, would somebody looking outside pray a prayer and say, I thank God for him because he really has faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the other saints. Now, if our vertical relationship with God is right in our faith, then our horizontal relationship with others should be right in showing our love for others. If your vertical relationship is not right with God, you're not gonna have the genuine love for others in that horizontal relationship either. And if that horizontal relationship is just not clicking, that's an indicator to you that that vertical relationship isn't where it needs to be. And if your vertical relationship lines up just right, your care, your compassion, your concern for others, that horizontal relationship will be there. So we get a test. We get questions we can ask ourselves to look in the mirror and say, am I doing this the right way? And then Paul gives us some key insight here. Just look at what he prays. And I think about how I pray. So this is convicting for me. Because when I think about how I pray, I am most often focused on things like, Lord, give them, give them health. Lord, give them strength. Lord, bless their life. What is Paul praying here? 
I most often, if I were Paul, I think this is what my prayer would have been like. Lord, get me out of jail. Let me be able to go visit these people so that I can encourage them. And instead, Paul's prayer wasn't about his situation or his circumstances, which are far worse than all of ours. And yet, how often are our prayers focused on us rather than others? And how often are our prayers focused on material possessions rather than spiritual insight? And what Paul is praying for others is he's saying for these others, he's encouraging them. He's praying for them. Lord, I thank God. I give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. My thoughts are not so much on me that I don't remember you when I'm praying. My thoughts are on others and my thoughts are to give thanks to God for you, my brothers and sisters. And then I want to pray that you will know. And he doesn't just say no. He wants to pray that you'll know that your eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you will live with the understanding of all of these truths. And that's my prayer for you this morning, is that you will know. So we come to our second point here, the purpose of the prayer in verses 17, going through the beginning of verse 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, so notice what he's doing here. It's God. It's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just in case you haven't figured it out, it's the father of glory. Paul's in preacher mode. He has just talked about the in Christ, the in Christ, the in Christ, and he's talking about God. It's the God of Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of glory. And then he says, may, may he give you these things. What's he wanting to give you? A spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, when you look at the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, if you have the New King James Version, the New American Standard, or the Christian Standard Version, it lists that S as a lowercase s. It's talking about the fact that you may have a spirit of wisdom. And it can be taken that way. There's no definite article in front of the word spirit. That doesn't mean it's not the Holy Spirit with a capital S. And if you're looking today at the ESV or the NIV, it's listed in uppercase letters as though it is the Holy Spirit talking about this. I actually believe that it's the second view that's the right view, that this is the Holy Spirit. And the reason I believe this is the Holy Spirit is because we can have a spirit of wisdom within us, but we don't have a spirit of revelation to reveal things to other people. It's the Holy Spirit that is the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. In fact, here Paul is actually praying that God would reveal these things to us, not that we would reveal these things to others. It's revealed in Scripture. So I think Paul is actually praying, praying to us, you have the Holy Spirit living within you, but may you have a spirit, the Spirit revealing to you the wisdom and the revelation of who God is. May through walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and may through God's Word, you come to a realization to where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these things are true in such a way that the eyes of your heart are no longer closed because he's praying that they will be open. The eyes of your heart all of a sudden go from closed to, oh my goodness, why did I not see this before? And it changes the way you live your life in every aspect of it because the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know. Now we think about this. What does this mean? It means, one, we need to be read, led by the Spirit. The Bible frequently talks about us being led by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. The Bible also talks about how we should know God's Word, memorize, meditate on, read, so that we understand who God says He is. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud. It's the way to do it. Read the scripture. 
This is God's word. It's his gift to us. Read the word. You read it so that you may have the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now we know this is a figure of speech. Our heart, the muscle beating in our chest is not what he's talking about. And our heart doesn't have eyes. We understand that much even if biology is not your strong suit, right? So this is a metaphor. So if you're looking at different versions of the scripture, the new King James may say the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. If you're looking at the Christian standard version, the perception of your mind may be enlightened. If you're gonna look at some non-literal translations like the message, it would say to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to do. The New Living Translation would say, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. You get the general sense of what this is talking about. What this is talking about is that you go from that moment when you first wake up in your sleep and everything is pitch black dark and your eyes have not adjusted to anything and you have to get up to go to the restroom or to go get your shower or whatever you have to get up to go do. And all of a sudden your eyes open up and you see nothing and you're reaching out with your hands and you're hoping nobody put anything in the pathway where it's not supposed to be because if so, you've got a broken toe waiting on you, right? And you're walking through and all of a sudden your eyes begin to adjust and you begin to see a little more light and all of a sudden you make your way to the light switch and you flip the switch and the light comes on and now you can see clearly everything that is around you and it changes the way you walk you go from this to this because you are comfortable and confident in how you're walking the eyes of your heart will be enlightened how do we drill this down think about things that change your entire life I've listed a few here. We are moving. Anybody ever heard those words? Did that change your life? Do you go from one location to another? You have a new house, you have new friends, you have a new school, you have new things. You're going to have a little brother or sister. That changes your life. Whether you want it to or not, it changes your life. He proposed She said, yes, that changes your life. I'm pregnant. Not me, but you get the point. (laughs) That would change everybody's life, right? No. That that changes your life. (laughs) If you have little brothers or sisters, or if you have children, the baby is crawling. That changes your life. The baby is walking or climbing or speaking. It changes your life. It's cancer. It changes your life. All of these things open your eyes to a new reality that perhaps you didn't have before that all of a sudden change everything about the way you live. It changes your life entirely and it opens the eyes of your heart so that you will be enlightened to a new way of living life, to a new understanding. You think about the world in general. What about the discovery of the new world? What about the first time 
I love the point by Keats on looking into Chapman's Homer when he talks about the fact the first time they, they leaned up over the mountain, they looked and they saw the Pacific Ocean and they realized that this wasn't just a new land they had found. They hadn't just found a closer way to get over to the Orient, but they had found an entirely new land and there was another ocean to explore on the other side. Can you imagine what that did to their minds when they thought they had made it all the way to the other side of that flat earth? And at the end of that, they looked up over the mountain and there's another ocean. And they're like, oh my. changes your perspective. Think about other things. Electricity. The sun's going down. I've got to finish my work. I've got to put it away. I have no light. Two, I turn on the lights. It's getting a little dark in here, and we stay up four or more hours to continue our workload. Think about the internet. How many of you remember life without the internet? There's a few of us in here. Some things were much more glorious without the internet. The cell phone. I remember my first bag phone. I was really cool. I had a bag phone. It was, it, was, it was about this size. And that bag phone had to be plugged in in order to work. But you could plug it into the cigarette lighter in your car. And you could set the bag phone on like the center console. And you were it. Now, if you ever have to plug your phone in because the battery doesn't last all day, you're like, I need a new phone. This phone just won't last. What's going on with my phone? And, and that phone, you can only make phone calls with it. How many of you even know how to work a rotary dial telephone? I mean, there's some of you that would see the rotary dial and you'd be like, what is this? Is this a puzzle? Do we have to figure this thing out? What numbers unlock the screen that pops up underneath it? It's like an app on your phone, right? You try to, no, this is a game. This is not a real phone. You see a pay phone sitting somewhere out in the public and you look at it and you go, what's that relic doing here? Is there a museum behind it? Things change life. It changed the reality when I can carry in my pocket more technology than they had when they went to the moon the first time. And right here I have it. And I can use it for great and glorious things like checking the scores of every game anytime I want to, right? I mean, things like that. And, and you know it's all there. It's all there right there. It changes your life. And, and as if that's not connected enough, then we all start buying watches that do the same thing to keep us connected to everybody else. And life has changed. And here's what Paul's praying, and this is my prayer for you, is that your life will change because of the realization of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of him and the knowledge of who you are in such a way that life will never be the same again. Has that happened? I don't mean... A campfire experience where your life was changed for two weeks and then it went back to normal. I don't mean a great worship service where you really felt like you got the goosebumps and everything was perfect and then you went back to normal. I mean that your eyes of your heart would be open, that you would know that there is something true and worth dying for and that is living for Jesus and that Jesus is the great one that offers hope to the hopeless, that provides value to those who consider themselves worthless, that has power to those who are helpless, that that God would change your life and such a way that every day when you get up, you want to live it for him. You're excited about living for Jesus, that that changes everything that happens to you. That's Paul's prayer. No longer in the dark, but the eyes of your heart wide open. So what's the point of this prayer? 
Well, the point that he gets to in this particular prayer is he wants to draw our attention to the hope, to the riches of the inheritance, and to the power. So those are the three things that we're going to focus on. One happens in the past. It's the hope to which we have been called. You'll notice that it's called, it's past tense. You have been chosen. God in eternity past, look forward, put you in with Christ, saw you united with Christ, and in that he called you. It's not the hope of the calling you think you may have as though you've created your own call, but it is the hope to which God has called you. That is the great hope that we have. It's an unshakable hope to the hopeless. If you are here right now and you think, I can't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do, I have no hope, you have hope. You have the hope of the calling, and for you to say you have no hope is for you to doubt the greatness and the power of God, and we're getting there. So then we have another one here. It's the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, I've got to spend a minute here, because there are two ways this is taken, and both of these ways are taken by very respectable people. John Stott would say that this is taken as our inheritance, our future inheritance that we would receive, the great inheritance. You know what an inheritance is? An inheritance is what you receive from mom or dad, grandpa or grandma, somebody when they pass, when they die, they leave a gift to you. Jesus, when he dies, and we know this from verse 14, we know we have an inheritance. Jesus, when we are united with him, he dies, he conquers death, he ascends to the Father so that we are then united in Christ so that God looks at us as though we are joint heirs with Jesus so we get an inheritance from the person who created all of this. That's a pretty good inheritance. If you are a social worker, if you are an educator, if you are some field where you're not gonna make a lot of money, your inheritance is not gonna be that large. But our inheritance in Christ is gonna be really, really large. Others, such as F.F. F. Bruce, take this as this is not our inheritance in the future, but this is saying that it's his inheritance in the saints, which is us. As though the Old Testament says that the Israelites was his inheritance. Now, this is important for us too. Because if what God is saying here in this text is that we are his inheritance, then God Almighty has said to us, worthless rebels against his kingdom, you are my inheritance, you are my great inheritance, and that means you have inestimable value. You can't calculate how much you're worth to God. And we look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, I'm worthless. I have no value. I can't believe somebody would love me for me. I've got all these things going on in my mind. I'm flawed in these ways. I'm not perfect. I don't look like so-and-so. I'm not as strong. I don't, I'm not as skinny. I'm not as beautiful. I'm not as funny. I'm not as smart. I'm not as all this. And this text says to us, you are God's inheritance. You have value that you can't comprehend. And that should encourage you. For you to say, I'm worthless, you deny God, and you call him a liar. You have value. You have hope. And Paul gets on a roll here when he says, what is, look at the words again, immeasurable greatness, power to us, towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, if you were writing your English paper and you put this in a sentence, your professor would look on the side and mark redundant. So what's his power? His great power that he works, it shows up here. It's in resurrection. He worked it when he raised Christ from the dead. 
So I'm worried about my death. Don't be. God's got it covered. Resurrection. He's got the power. It's also an exaltation. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Gravity doesn't control God. God controls gravity. He seated him in the heavenly places. Far above, so it's exaltation. Why did he seat him far above? Well, I'm really worried about all these things happening in the Supreme Court and in our government and in wars and in everything that's going on. And Paul reminds us, wait a second here. God's greatness is above all rule, all authority, all power, and all dominion. Did you get that? Because he just used different words that all say the exact same thing to say to you, he's got this covered, quit worrying about it. That's how great and powerful God is. Is he really that powerful? Well, he is above every name. Whose name do you come in? I come in the name of the king. I come in the name of Caesar. I come in the name of the IRS. I come in the name of some group that has power. And we all go, no, no, no. But there's a name that's above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that name is Jesus. And you say, wait a second, is, is, that, is that name gonna be the greatest forever though? Okay, maybe it's the greatest right now, but what if somebody comes along? And Paul goes, all right, I got this. It's not only in this age, it's also in the one to come. He's saying there is nobody greater. How many of you have seen Avengers Infinity War? Anybody out there? All right, so here's my take on Avengers Infinity War. You've got the greatest heroes ever, right? You've got Hulk, you've got Iron Man, you've got Captain America, you've got all these heroes. And, and you really can't make a good movie unless you have a battle back and forth that's a real battle. And who could really take out all of those superheroes when they're all united together? I mean, they had them fight each other because they couldn't figure out anybody else for them to fight. So they've got to create this incredible person to fight. So they create this person named Thanos. Thanos, death. You just hear it in the name. And then you've got these infinity stones, infinity power. And if he, if he has all of these infinity stones, he can snap his fingers. Half of everybody will be dead immediately. That's power. And what this text is saying to you is that Thanos is not even as powerful as the snap of the Lord's fingers or the breath he breathes or a twinkle in his proverbial eye. We look at the... Avengers, and we think they're powerful. We see Thanos, and we go, oh, they're not so powerful. Hulk hits Thanos, and Hulk is the strongest there is. And Thanos goes, not anymore. <laughs> and we go, time out. That's not right. Our eyes were just open to a new reality. And here Paul says, you just think you've seen great. You have not encountered great. Because there's a greatness that is a great immeasurable power beyond which it cannot be measured. It is his great might. It is the might he worked when he conquered death by raising Jesus from the dead. It is the power that he worked when he exalted him to the right hand of the Father. It's the power that is above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, above every name, not just in this age, but in the one to come. It's the one by which he put everything under his feet. How many of you don't like feet? I mean, I like shoes. Are they, there's two of us out there. Come on now, there's more of you that don't like feet. Feet are dirty, feet are nasty, feet are ugly. I mean, it's just feet. He put everything under his feet. I'm like, no, that's torture. That's, that's against our constitution, right? That's unreasonable punishment. Don't do that. No. 
It's under my foot. It's the ant walking on the sidewalk on a bad day that I go, hmm, you're done. <laughs> Thanos. It's the spider that made its way into my house the other night that I walk over and go, and then I go to get a paper towel. And Rachel's like, what happened? I'm like, I just crushed a spider over there a little too hard. It went everywhere. So I had to clean it all up, right? Power. And here's what he's saying. In case you haven't gotten it yet, it's not just under his feet. He's saying, I'm the head. He placed Jesus as the head above all things. The head controls all things. If you lose your head, what happens? He did, right? So he's head and he gave him to the church. So he's the head of the church. We know there's some other scriptures and texts. So that should say to you, when you leave this place and you get involved in a local church, you get plugged in, you should be now. But when you do it, as you leave this place, if you ever get involved in the church that leaves Christ, that church is a rotten, dead, headless corpse. If it's not tied to Jesus Christ, because Christ is the head of the church. Do you get it? Do you see it? I can't do it justice. We have a song that says, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. God makes all others look weak. And Paul is praying. I thank God for your faith in Christ. I thank God for your love towards the saints. But my prayer is that you will know, not just know, but that you'll understand, that you'll comprehend, that the eyes of your heart will be opened, that your mind will be enlightened so that you will live with reality, that you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God through Jesus Christ provides hope for the hopeless. He provides value for the worthless. He provides power for the helpless. And that's what our text is today. God is faithful. You can trust him. I pray today that God will open the eyes of your heart so that you may know that God through Christ offers hope for the hopeless, value for those who think they're worthless and power for the helpless. Dear Lord, I pray that in my life and in all of our lives, you would open our eyes that we may see you and know you and live in that reality, that you may be glorified. In your name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.